0: All right, y'all ready? Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We started last week talking about an unshakable faith. Remember we, uh, we talked about the, kind of a whole lot of shaking going on around us. Uh, our lives have been shook up. Our country has been shook up. Seems like everything's kind of going through a season of shaking is kind of what I'm calling it. You know, it's, and the Bible says there are seasons in life that whatever can be shaken will be shaken so that what remains is is solid, it's true, it's real. You know what I'm talking about? And our hopes is that all of this shaking leads to an awakening. That's what our hopes are, that people will wake up to the reality of God, the truth of Jesus, and the the wonders of His kingdom, and come right in, and um, I believe God will heal our land. Amen? Amen. My goal here is to, to talk about how can we remain strong in faith, how can we remain strong in our commitment to Christ, Uh, when we're going through all this kind of thing. The Bible says that we are a part, if you're part of the kingdom of God, that you are a part of an unshakable kingdom. It says that. That we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That its foundations are sure, its truth is everlasting, its king is immutable, and its glory will never cease. That's what we're part of. Isn't that awesome? We're part of that kind of kingdom. So last week we got into Acts 20 verse 24 and it was some of Paul's words he, he made this statement to some people that were telling him that some really terrible things were going to happen to him and it was probably going to cost him his life. And Paul makes this statement. We kind of unpacked it a little bit. None of these things or none of these words that you're saying to me, none of them move me. We, we talked about how this man had this unshakableness to him, unshakable faith. His commitment from, to Christ would not relent. He was committed even unto death. We, we looked at four things right there about what he said in, in that verse. That he saw himself as an accountant, that he was accountable to God for all of his actions and for what he would do in his calling. He saw himself as a runner and he wanted to run to do what? He wanted to run to win. And, and he saw himself as a manager, a steward of everything that God had given him. So he wanted to do a good job for what God had put in his trust. And he saw himself as a witness, that he was to carry on the witness of Christ, all the things that Christ had done in his life and his time, but also in his own life, in Paul's life, in what we do in our life. We see ourselves as these four things. So I hope that helped you. Today we're going to get into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to look at part two of An unshakable Faith. We're going to read a lengthy passage together uh, from verse 35 to 58. Just stay locked in with me. This is kind of one of those, those things, that, those verses that just keeps building on itself and building on each point, just kind of builds on the other. All right? So now, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite chapters in all the New Testament. If, if I was going to be desert, uh, on a deserted island and can only take a few pages of the Bible with me, this would be one of the pages, okay? 1 Corinthians 15. It, it's an amazing chapter. It's where Paul explains to us, as the church, he explains to us The importance of resurrection and what resurrection is, how it's going to be, how it's going to take place. It is absolutely earth shattering. It's amazing what he says about resurrection. All right. So what I want you to do, even after we teach and do all the things we're going to talk about today, I want you to spend some time this week just reading through 1 Corinthians 15. I warn you, it's very, very dense. Okay. Okay. Like as most of Paul's writings are, you know, it takes Paul, uh, he, he's just a preacher, you know. It takes him about four sentences and three paragraphs to say hello, you know. <laughs> that's just the way we are. I, I saw a joke the other day, it said, it showed two chickens just kind of staring and it. says, when the pastor s- preached for 30 minutes and he says, and now my first point is, you know, that kind of, that's the kind of guy Paul was. He just takes a while to get to his point, but when he gets to it, oh boy, it's something else. All right, so go spend some time this week in 1 Corinthians 15. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. All right, come on, lock in with me. It's kind of lengthy, so just sit there where you're at. Let's start in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. Let's read through the remainder of the chapter. All right, you ready? But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow... You do not sow that body or plant that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies. And terrestrial bodies, bodies in the heaven, like the planets, the stars, the sun, the moon, those kind of, terrestrial has to do with the earth, right? So things on the earth that glorify God. But the glory of the celestial is one, the heavens, and the glory of the terrestrial or the earth is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory or dignity of the stars. For one star differs from, from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption or planted in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown or planted in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. You're getting happy yet not at all? <laughs> I'm about to jump out of my skin right here. I'm loving this. As was the man of dust, Adam, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So how in the world are we going to get in? Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now, this is a mystery that all the way up until the time of the Apostle Paul was kind of hidden. It was coded in the Scriptures. So he's saying, I'm telling you one of the secrets of God that nobody had figured out until Jesus rose from the grave. Okay? So he said, I'm telling you one of the secrets of heaven right here. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Everybody perk up here. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. It can't help it. It's got to. It's a promise. It's going to happen. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. It got swallowed because something bigger came along. <laughs> oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And here he concludes. and He says, in light of all of this, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I mean that's good stuff, boy. I just want to close my Bible and just shout and holler and do all kind of stuff. Uh, y'all be. <laughs> I know we have other expectations. Y'all don't want to see me up here dancing. <laughs> all right. So that's just good stuff, man. I mean it. it really speaks a lot, but but we kind of need some unpacking because it's, it's it's very very dense. You know, one of the worst feelings that we can have as human beings is this idea that that nothing that I do matters. You know, it, it's. Sometimes we feel like that we're not making a difference and nobody cares or appreciates what I do, that it's useless. It's what what am I? You know, just just a drop in the ocean, so to speak. And it's a terrible feeling when you feel like you've wasted all your time and your energy. And and sometimes we feel like our lives are a waste. But this scripture speaks to us as believers and it says, Hey, there is something you can do to make sure that your life is not wasted, but instead invested into something that is eternal. Nobody really wants to waste their life, but a lot of people do. We don't want to waste our life because we know that there's something very precious about it. There's something very precious about the moments and the hours and the days of our lives there's something important you remember the old spill back in 2010 you remember that happened down here off the coast of pensacola remember that kind of deal maybe some of y'all were involved in some of that it's not too far from here you know when that happened i i, I just kind of got the, the holy spirit just kind of spoke to my my spirit about this is kind of where a lot of people are in the body of christ it's like You know, when you saw all the devastation down there and all the wildlife and all the the, the devastation in the ocean world and all that kind of thing that happened, it was just, it's horrific really, wasn't it? And then there were like, what was it, like 11 people lost their lives in that tragedy, something of that nature? It was just awful to see all that. In fact, some of the ramifications are still happening today over just recovering from all that. When I saw that and I saw all the reports on the news and the wildlife and and they getting the the soap and the stuff, getting the oil off the wildlife and trying to save and, and, and restore all the things that were happening. The Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and he said, this is the way a lot of people live their life. He said, don't let what I put in you just spill on the ground. Because see, that, that was a lot of wasted resource right there, wasn't it? I mean, a ton. Of, I mean, I don't even have any idea. I don't even know if they can measure it at this point. But there was a ton of waste. There was a ton of wasted resources. And, and, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. and said, that's where a lot of people that are in my kingdom live their lives. Is their lives just, it just seems to not really do what I designed it to do. So let's don't let the life and the years and the resources that God has entrusted to us, let's don't let them just be spilled on the ground and go for naught. You know, he says right here at the end of this chapter in light of the resurrection that your labors, my labors, your ministry, my ministry, you're doing good absolutely matters. You know, he goes through this long theological spiel about resurrection. And some of you read it and it's like, your mind just goes, it just blows it kind of thing. And he gets to the end of it. and, And instead of him saying Uh, Just wait till Jesus comes he says something real important. He says Because of what Jesus has done the good that you do in this world in the name of Christ really matters It really matters Hey when we love our neighbor it matters when we when we love one another it matters when we're kind to one another it matters when we try to bring restoration and hope and healing and encouragement to somebody it matters your labor of love because of the resurrection of jesus it really matters when you give to the poor and help those who are in need it really really matters and the phrase he uses at the end of that chapter it's never in vain when it's done for the lord i mean even the smallest of things i mean jesus talks like even if you give a cold cup of water to somebody who's thirsty It will be recognized when my kingdom comes. That's amazing to me because that brings a lot of uh, of hope to what I do and what we do together as a family and what you do on your own time and it's your job and for your neighbors and friends. It really, really matters what we do because somehow or another, when God brings his kingdom to this earth, he's going to collect all that together and it's all going to make a difference. So what we do today matters for all of eternity. Jesus is very plain about that. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us why. Right, you, would you like to know why it matters? Okay, let, let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Back into the first part of this chapter, he's telling us because of the good news, it all matters. It all matters. And we can have an unshakable faith because of the good news. Here's the good news in, in just a real quick summary. The good news is this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the best news the world ever, ever could hear. That's the best news that you and I could ever hear on a personal level. And the proof of Jesus resurrecting from the dead was seen by Peter. It calls him Cephas in this chapter. It was seen by Peter and all the 12 disciples. 500 other people also saw him. James and the other apostles saw him. And then Paul, as one born out of due season, almost seemed like to him like an afterthought, it seems. Paul met him, the resurrected Christ, on the road to Damascus. And now the story doesn't just end there in Acts chapter 9 and 10. It doesn't just end there in the book of Acts. It goes on and on and on. The good news has been spread and many millions upon millions since this time have met Jesus in houses. They met Jesus in churches. They met Him in back alleys. They met Him in taverns and palaces and hotels and hospitals. You name it, the reality of the resurrected Christ has been revealed to many of us in many different ways. I hope you've met it. He says this: "Death has come into the world. there's no doubt about it. We all experience it. Some of us went to a funeral this week, tasted that bitter thing again. And if the Lord tears, we'll even taste our own. Death has come. Adam, through sin, Genesis three, brought death into the world. Sin came. Death was the wages. Death was the paycheck. God was very plain about that. But Jesus has brought another reality into the world. This reality is called the resurrection of the dead. Jesus brought that. And and it says right here, and what Paul says, before it's all said and done, Jesus will even destroy our greatest enemy, which is death. That'll be a good day. I've stood over many graves, stood in many a hospital room where I've just said, Lord, please take death out of here. It's horrific. It's terrible. It's the worst pain we feel. It's the biggest enemy we have. It's the greatest fear that we have that we'll do something or maybe one of our loved ones will do something that will endanger or even take their life. And the promise of the gospel is that one day Jesus, who conquered death himself, will come and destroy death altogether. That's the promise. But we have questions because this is strange to us. Because resurrection is not normal. You understand that? Resurrection is not normal because the normal thing is for dead people stay dead. That's that's the normal thing. So when Jesus, on the third day, resurrects from the grave, that's like, what? You know what I'm talking about? I don't don't know how these kind of things strike you. Maybe you've been in church a little bit too long and you get rocked to sleep with these terms like resurrection. But normally, dead people stay dead. That's the norm, right? And oh yeah, by the way, everybody dies. I think the ratio is one to one, isn't it? It's 100%, actually. It gets us all. It's normal for people to stay dead. So what's the, all this talk about resurrection? And, and how in the world does it work? We get some glimpses with the life of Jesus in the, in the Jesus resurrection stories. We'll do some study on those in, in, in the near future, just talking about each one of those stories and seeing how Jesus was after the resurrection. It's a fascinating study. How does resurrection work? How are the dead raised is the question that's asked right there. How in the world? is so strange, Paul. What are you talking? How are the dead raised? With what body do they come back with? What, 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 what kind of form or shape or, or what kind of idea is this? What, how does resurrection work? We don't know about these things. What's it going to be like? you ever thought about that? <laughs> What's it going to be like when I see my papa's resurrected body? What's that going to be like when you see your loved one? What's it going to be like for you? You gonna have an S on your chest and a cape and fly? How you going What's that? What's it gonna be like? You know what? That's that's what's being asked right here. And then he makes this statement, starting in like verse number thirty-six, somewhere right in there. He said, "Oh, silly ones, <laughs> foolish ones." He says, "What you sow is not made alive unless it dies." Now he's kind of talking scientifically here now. Isn't that what we call germination? Isn't that what that's called? Where a seed will go into the ground and, and we know through scientific study now that, that that actually is a process of all life that it goes through a process as the seed is planted in the ground that seed deteriorates and dies and by it dying it gives life. Now what Paul is going to tell us right here is that you know about resurrection already. It's not as foreign to you as you think it is. Oh, maybe some city folks don't think about this too much but us country folks we've thought about this kind of stuff. The idea of resurrection is all around us. God put resurrection in the DNA of His creation. Now think about this. Because He says this death thing and resurrection it's like planting seeds. You think about that. It's like planting seeds. That everything that you eat Well, I'll say not everything. Some of this stuff's chemical. But every natural thing that you eat, every good and wholesome thing you eat, fruit, vegetables, bread, grains, all that kind of thing, all the stuff you eat, that's what I brought all this for. All the stuff you eat goes through this process of resurrection. Sorry, kids, don't try that at home. Don't do that at home. (laughs) Didn't have nowhere else to put it. Now think about this next time you go eat a sandwich. Now what is this? This is wheat bread. How would this get here? I mean, started, started from the inception. How would it get here? Well, there was a farmer somewhere that planted a seed. And well, that seed looks very different than this bread, doesn't it? He planted a seed, and that seed went in the ground, and it died. But by it dying, it released new life. And that new life sprang up, although it started as a small, tiny grain of wheat. You've seen it? You've seen grain of wheat before? It started as a small, tiny grain of wheat. But you go out in a wheat field, it looks very different than what was planted, doesn't it? You go out there and you see these stalks come up and these great big golden heads of wheat come up. It comes up very different. And then they take that wheat and they crush it up, put it together, bake it, and it's spread. You realize every time you eat a sandwich, every time you put some peanut butter and jelly in in between these two pieces of bread, you are partaking in the idea of resurrection. You hear me? And this may take a while. I may need this later. (laughs) A seed, the fruit's the same way. You see this? There's seeds in this apple. And if you take these seeds out and put them in the right conditions, these seeds will grow up. But it starts as a, a very different thing. It starts, doesn't look like this. It starts as a small, tiny seed. You plant that seed, and it sprouts up into something far different than what it was. grows into a tree, bears the fruit of the apple. You see what I'm talking about? That's what he's saying. He said, all of this idea of resurrection is all, every time you feed your faith. In fact, you know, humanly speaking, we start that way too. As crazy as it is, mom and daddy can do that, and I come along. That's crazy. That's insane. I mean, I don't, that's a miracle. I mean, that's, it, it's all around us is what Paul is telling. The idea of this seed being sown and it going into the ground and dying and then it raising up to a, something all different. He said, that's what the resurrection is going to be like. Are, are you tracking with me? All right. So you plant it and it transforms into something very different. Paul's argument is that's the same way it's going to be with your body. Now, according to what the stories of Jesus, what we see, the body is planted. In Jesus' case, it was in a tomb. In our case, we do it in the ground mostly. You plant that body in the ground, and it raises up something far different. Now, when, it, when we look at the picture of Jesus after the resurrection... He looked the same, but he was far different, wasn't he? I mean, he could have fish and chips with the guys. And then the next minute, he's walking through a wall like, how y'all doing? Oh, it's it's just crazy. So so Jesus was very similar, but they would look at him and say, who who are you? Who is this? Because he was the same, but he was way different. (laughs) It's a fascinating study. You ought to look at it. You plant it, and it comes back transformed. And then he says in verse 39 through about 41, something like that, he says this. He says that not all flesh is the same. There's all kinds of different flesh. There's flesh of us human beings. There's flesh of an animal, which is different than our flesh. It's it's close, but it's different. Then there's the flesh of a fish, which is far different, isn't it? Then there's the flesh of birds. Uh, that, that kind of idea, that's, that's just simply why evolution just can't be true. It just can't be true. It's all different. Everything's different. It's got God's stamp in it in some different kind of way. God's design. He says, not all flesh is the same. Not all lights in the heavens shine the same. The sun is of great brilliance and has great prestige in the, in the solar system and in our lives. Without it, we would not survive it, they tell us. But then you have... The lights that glow at night that are not quite like the sun. Oh, We got the moon, it's, it helps a little bit, but it's way different, isn't it? So not all lights in the heavens shine with the same brightness. We got the sun, the moon, and even the stars who shine in lesser glory. Although they're brilliant and wonderful, but it's all different, different levels of glory. Nor do we honor it all the same way. We don't honor human flesh and fish the same way. You know? We ascribe a different level of glory and dignity to each one. Everybody does. Believer and unbeliever alike. Now, let me, let me tell you how this works. Just give you kind of a, a crude example of what you can see right here. If you see a dead fish on the side of the road, you probably won't pull over. If you see a dead bird or even hit one with your car, you may go, oh, man, I wish it wouldn't happen." But you're probably not going to have a bad time about it. You're not going to have to go to the psychiatrist over it. If you see an animal, we see them all the time deer up and down the highway and all this kind of thing on the side of the road, you, you probably, maybe something in you go, ooh that's rough. But you have a, you would have a far different reaction if you saw a person in an accident and heard that they died and you were right there on the scene. You, you'd have a far different, why? Because see, there's a different level of glory we attribute, different level of honor because we all know our laws And our system of justice is set on that idea, that principle. We all know that there is something special and sacred and different about human life than it is as wonderful as I love my little dog. There's something different between me and him. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want him to go anywhere. I love him. But it's not the same as what you love with your kids or your wife or your friends. It's different. That's what he's saying. It's it's all different. There's a greater level of honor and glory given to humanity. And in the resurrection, God is going to give a greater level of honor and glory to us humans as well. That's what he's talking about. Because we are the crown of God's creation. We're the apple of his eye. He made all this for us. So there's different levels right here. Then he explains the resurrection of the dead. Again, he says it's very similar to planting a seed in the ground. Now listen how the comparison goes because it spans over about three or four verses right here. This, this little synopsis right here I'm going to give you just to kind of try to bring clarity, to bring all this. Because how many of your heads kind of started spinning when you was reading all that? Like, whew, it's getting deep, boy. <laughs> this is some of what he means right through here. Verse 42 through about 44. It's like planting a seed. It's planted in corruption but it will be raised in incorruption. Now, what does it mean for something to corrupt or corrode? What does that mean? Well, if you've got, you got a steel beam and it starts corroding, what happens? The rust comes and it's eating away at the integrity of the beam, and soon it will eat all the way through and it will destroy it, right? Our bodies kind of have become corrupted because of sin. You feel that corruption every morning when you step out of bed, don't you? <laughs> You feel it and the ricketyness of your bones and the snapping and the popping and all the aches and stuff we were talking about went a little earlier. You feel that corruption starting to happen in your body. It's called the aging process. It happened when Adam sinned and and death came into the cosmos. But what's going to happen when we're raised in the resurrection is that this corruption, this, this death suit so to speak, this aging death suit I've got on now is going to be replaced with something that is incorruptible. It can never corrode. It can never break down. My knees will never ache anymore. My ankles won't pop when I walk across the room anymore because the corruption will be gone and I will put on incorruption. This, what was sown in dishonor because of sin and our choices and just being a part of all the the breakdown of everything, what was sown in dishonor will now be raised in glory. What was sown in weakness... And probably died because of the weakness of the flesh. The body of the disease or sickness that struck the body. And it was planted in the ground because of its weakness. God in his strength and might will raise that body in power. And what was sown in the natural, which is the natural flesh and blood that you and I have, will be raised into a spiritual body. Now here's where we need help. Because when we think of spirits, we think of like Casper the friendly ghost. You know what I'm talking about? We think about all the things that float around in the air and we see them on the paranormal shows and all that kind of thing. We, we think of spirit, spirit like disembodied stuff. But the Bible doesn't present it like that. Not for us. Now there are demons and angels that, that are spirit beings but we're going to be made a spiritual being. Now what in the world is that? Well that, if we look at Jesus, after the resurrection, his being being spiritual, he still had a frame, he still had a shape, He still had a substance to him, but yet it was supernatural in nature. He could appear. He could disappear. But he could eat and he could talk. You would see something different radiating from him. But you could also touch scars in his hands and in his side. See what I'm talking about? So the spiritual body that's talking about, we, we get an idea from Jesus the spiritual body that we're going to have is very similar but very different. Because it won't have any of the corruption, any of the weakness. And yes, you will be Superman. You will be Superwoman. I don't know what that's going to look like. But you ain't never been so pretty. You ain't never been so strong. You ain't never been so smart. It's going to happen. All right? Now, just like Jesus. Right? Right? So now about 45 through 49, he picks up again with this comparison. He said, Adam, go back to Genesis 1 and 2, Adam, which the word Adam just simply means earth. It means from the earth idea, Adam, he was the first man, the first human being that ever was, Adam. Jesus now is the last Adam. Adam, as the first man that ever lived, was considered to be the federal head of all creation. Right underneath God, in the management of this world. In fact, he was given dominion and and told to take authority over everything that's here. It's yours, Adam. You take care of it. Adam became a living being, remember? God shaped him out of the dust of the earth. Adam is part earth, and he's part God. Part of God. Say it like that. Adam is part of earth. God shapes him out of the dust of the earth. And then God does something to cause him to come alive. This is the God part that gets into Adam. He, he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life and what was just a laying shape of a body of a shell that was there. When God breathed into Adam, Adam <coughs> came alive. He was a living being. What was his source of life? God. Adam was a living being. Jesus comes as the last Adam. He's the next federal head who takes over where Adam, you don't know what the temptation is about? It's about Jesus reclaiming that headship over creation. You don't know what the cross is about? Jesus putting the final blow on all that and retaking his place as the rightful heir and Lord and Christ over all of God's works, including us. It calls him the second man. So Adam's the first man. Jesus, according to this theology here, becomes the second man. And he is not just a living being. Jesus is a life-giving spirit. See, all Adam could do was pass on natural life. Jesus comes and he passes on what's called eternal life, which we don't even have any way to describe that. It's so, so odd to us. Because eternal life doesn't have to do with just forever. It has to do with God. It's God's kind of life. And it will last forever. But it's God's life. And Jesus is the one who comes for all the ones who were born in Adam who want to be a part of him. Jesus becomes a life-giving spirit. So time and time again, we hear him saying things like, If you will come to me, I will give you life. Where Adam could just be alive, Jesus comes to give life. That's what he's saying right here. Adam... Was just a natural dude. He was just a natural man. Jesus was a spiritual man. And here, here's where he, he splits it right here. Adam was from the earth. He just made of dust, which was important. He was a wonderful part of God's creation. But Jesus is the Lord from heaven. Adam was just from the earth. Jesus is from heaven. You know what he's saying to us right there? Jesus is made of the stuff of heaven. That's who we follow, that's who we serve. And the promise is this. As you and I have been have borne the image of Adam, the man of, the man of dust. As we follow Christ, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. See, that's where the resurrection is going to come in. And we're starting to bear that now in our salvation and our walk with God. And what was lost in the image. Remember, Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. And because of sin, that began to break down. Jesus comes and restores it and says, now I want to remake you, Jesus says this, into my image. And I want you to bear my image. I want you to bear my name. Jesus would say it like this. I want you to come follow me. I want you to follow me. So that you can become like me. You can holler, shout, scream, whatever you want to now. (laughs) I'm about to explode if you did not notice that. And then he says this. After explaining all this stuff about resurrection, how's it going to happen? He said, I want to tell you this mystery. This mystery. That because of Jesus, now we're part of natural flesh and blood. This stuff right here that we have on. This earth suit cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It can't get in there. It can't. It it can't handle it. In fact, anytime God shows His glory in just a small amount, what happens to the human being almost always in the Scriptures where we see things happening? What happens to the human being? They fall over like they're dead because they can't take it. This body and this, this reality we live in right now cannot take that fullness of the reality of God and His kingdom. We can't take it. So we can't inherit the kingdom of God. So how are we going to get in? So God makes a way for us to get into this eternal kingdom. You wanna hear how he's gonna do it? You wanna hear how he's gonna do it? You wanna hear it? A change is coming. A change is coming. Something's gonna happen that's going to make this a reality for all of us. He says, I'm gonna tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, we're not all gonna go to the grave, but everybody is gonna be changed. And it's gonna happen in a split second, a moment. In fact, the description is in a twinkling of an eye. Now, that's not a blink. A blink is a blink, and that's quick enough, right? A twinkle is just the twitch of your eye. It's going to happen so suddenly because God's power is going to hit all of His creation. And when that trumpet sounds, and what's the trumpet all about? When did they blow trumpets in those days? When the king's coming? to announce the presence of the king. So the angelic hosts are going to get out and they're going to blow their trumpets because the king is coming. And the king is not just coming, he's about to do something that's absolutely amazing that would blow Steven Spielberg's mind. You know what I'm talking about? It's going to blow our minds too. He's going to blow this trumpet and in the split second of a moment in time, the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible. Their bodies, they are corrupted. And in many cases are decayed. It's going to put on that incorruption. And everybody, those who are alive at the time of Christ's return and those who have gone on before Him, before He returns, are going to be changed. There's a change coming. God is going to... Why why the change? Because God has to make a way for us to get into the kingdom. I mean the fullness of the kingdom. I mean, we experience some of it now, but in his fullness, he's got to make a change in us. And this corruptible is going to put on incorruption, and this mortal is now going to become immortal. You ought to read your Bible. It's fascinating, actually. This idea of what what he talks about resurrection, it's absolutely, it's like, I mean, it, it, it ought to make you go, wait a minute now, that sounds crazy. Because it does. That's why it's a mystery. Nobody had to figure it out until Jesus raised. And he says this. When this happens. Death will once and for all be defeated. On that day. All the corruption that's been brought into the world. All the corruption that's been brought into our lives. Will be defeated. On that day. And it says it like this. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's what we're going to be saying on that day. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Where it is gone. You don't belong here anymore. The king has put you out of the kingdom and banished you from all of creation. Death is swallowed up by something a lot bigger. Here's what the resurrection of Jesus The adversary did its best to Jesus. It ridiculed him. It mocked him. They scourged him. They beat him within an inch of his life. They hung him on a a tree to die. And he died. They put him in a tomb for three days and sealed it up. What the adversary did not know is that death, which was his best punch, which is his best weapon which is his best weapon to keep us in fear all even the days of our life. He hit him with his best weapon of death. And there the Son of God laid in the tomb for three days. But what the enemy did not know that there was something bigger and better than death. And it's called life. And on the third day on that Easter morning comes walking down the old garden way right there and life comes and it swallows up death and it grabs Jesus with (laughs) it. Because there's something bigger than death. You need to know this over your life now. We've heard news reports after news reports of death and all kinds of problems, all kinds of difficulties in our world. I mean, we've seen more death. I've said this several times. We've seen more death in the last three or four months than we have heard about in our whole lifetime. And it seems like death is swallowing us up. That's what if you listen to certain news broadcasts. that's what it's almost like that's what they want you to feel. And fear has gripped all of our hearts. I mean, when my daughter calls me and tells me she's got the virus, I, that, I, that I, don't make me feel good. I'm death, no, you, you can't take that one now. Uh-uh. You know what I'm talking about? We, we've all had this kind of feeling. And Jesus says, for all of those who believe, there's something bigger than death, and it's called life. And life will one day swallow up death. Now, I want to read this. This is actually a quote. Out of Isaiah 25, 8, and 9. Listen to this. I'm I'm almost done. I'll let you know when I'm done. Okay. (laughs) Isaiah 25, 8, and 9. This is a quote from there, okay? He, talking about Jesus, Messiah, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all their faces. The rebuke of his people, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. and What's going to be our response? And it will be said in that day. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's what we're going to say on that day right there. And you want to know why? Every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father because they're going to see stuff just like this happening and they're going to say, ain't nobody could do that but you. Ain't nobody could do that but you. And everybody that's ever breathed the breath on God's good earth is going to take a knee and honor Jesus as the rightful king because we've experienced a life that is bigger than death. You hear what I'm talking about? Okay. And that's what he says. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in, in closing, he closes the chapter right here. The very last verse. In response to this reality that's coming. How should we live? Should we just build a fort around ourselves and just... Hang on until Jesus comes. That's not what he says. This is what he says. In response of this resurrection promise and this life swallowing up death. In response to this, brothers and sisters, I want you to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He said what this resurrection truth ought to do. It ought to take every ounce of fear of man out of you. It ought to take every ounce of fear of death out of you. It ought to take every ounce of fear of persecution and opposition out of you. And that it would put something else in place of you. A faith that would be steadfast. A faith that would be firm, a faith that would be faithful, immovable, steady in all winds that blow, unshakable, unshaken, unwavering in his commitment. That's the kind of faith that this is supposed to put in us. You hear what I'm talking about? And he says this, I want you to always abound in the good stuff that God wants you to do. Always abound. What's that? We don't use those kind of word anymore. We don't use abound. What does that mean? He said, you know what? God's got a work for you to do. God's got a ministry. God's got good stuff for you to to flow through these hands, to flow through this wallet, to flow through all of your resources, good stuff to flow right out of your mouth to help other people. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to always abound in the work of the Lord. You know what that means? Go beyond what's expected. I'm going to tell you, my, my English teacher taught me this in college I wrote all the papers did all the stuff and I'm telling you if she gave us an assignment to write a thousand word essay guess how many words I wrote not not one thousand and one I wrote a thousand and, and I found out the period don't count <laughs> you know what I'm talking about and I just did what was expected She pulled me aside after I I wrote a good paper, actually. And I wrote it right to the T. She gave me a B. She called me up and I talked to her. I said, you know, that's not a B paper. She said, no, and you're not a B student. She said, but the reason I gave you a B is because I know you can do better. And you're just doing what's expected of you. And son, in life, if you just do what's expected, you will not be anything. You hear what I'm talking about? I don't know. I I didn't wake up to be average. Did y'all? And that's what she was trying to get out of me. You don't want to be just average. You just don't want to get by. You just don't want to make that great on the test. You want to give everything you got and be the best you can. And that's what he says. In this life of Christ, this walk of Christ that we're doing, this journey that we're with God, this life that we're living, I want you to give more than is expected.
1: Of your time, your talent, your treasures, give more because that's what he gave to us. I can't help but give that much in return. What would it look like for a group of people like us, myself included, to where we went beyond what's expected? We went over the top. Kind of like they did with the meal the other day. I mean, we had more fried chicken and we could have fed two armies over there. It
0: just, something, there's something in us as Christians. We just want to go over the. That's, that's what this idea is. Just, just more than it takes, and send it home with them. Package. I mean, we had enough to send home with eight families.
1: Seriously, what what is that? It's always abounding. Pour it on thick. People need encouragement. Pour it on. Go over the top with
0: it. I'm not talking about smoothing. I'm not talking about goofiness and all that kind. Of thing. I'm talking about for real. Just give them more than what they need. Somebody needs a blessing in their life, financially, and if you're able, give more than they need. Give it to them. Abound. Abound. You've got a calling in ministry, give it everything you've got. Put it so you can lay your head on the pill at night and you
1: go, I'm exhausted. Give it everything.
0: That's what he says in light of resurrection. We should give more
1: than what's expected. Always abounding. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. Knowing that everything you do, from giving away a cold cup of water, Jesus said, encouraging those visiting the sick, taking care of people, encouraging them, whatever it might be, everything matters. And when this king comes, when he returns to set his kingdom up on this earth, when this king comes, all that's going to be brought together. And somehow or another, the apple pies you gave away, the hugs, the encouragement, somehow or another, all that's going to be brought and redeemed. And you're going to say, this matters. You know what I'm talking about? So in the face of all the death around us, Jesus can bring resurrection. And he will. As I was studying this, I was, I was taken back into my story a little bit. I've told you some of this story, but it just became interesting to me that in the face of death, God resurrected my life in ministry back in December of 2015. I I know what it's like when Paul said, this idea, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. I I feel the same. I know what he's talking about. I quit. Had a whole lot of life stuff going on, I quit. And in the face of the death of a young boy, got on a four wheeler. I'm standing there with his family. I've been there for several days. They're very close to me. Baptized his mom and daddy, baptized a little boy, knew their family all over. And in the face of the death of that little boy, God spoke to a boy who became a prodigal on his own choices. Facing all that death. I'm standing in there. I can take you to the spot. I'm standing there trying to console them. He says, you know, this is what I called you to do. It's just ironic to me in the face of death. He resurrected my life. That's what he does. That's who he is. And he can do the same for you.
0: Make no mistake about it. What Paul is telling us, that a firm belief in the resurrection
1: is how you and I can have an unshakable